I suddenly realised, I remember saying, Michael is not coming home. I couldn't go to the door dead, but I knew Michael wasn't coming home. In the early hours of February the 14th, 1981, 48 young people died when fire engulfed the Stardust nightclub in Artane, Dublin. He said, uh, place is on fire, we're not going to get everybody out. Tell the officer to send absolutely everything that you have. Nobody saw it coming. If they did, it was already too late. Just people were screaming outside. You could hear them screaming. 846 people came through the doors that night. 44 would never come out. Four more died in hospital. It was one of Ireland's most catastrophic tragedies. And then everything went black. Then everybody started squealing and roaring and, and you could see the flames, do you know what I mean? And everybody then, it was just like wild animals. Getting out was a lottery. There was a state play and bars on the window, so we, we couldn't get out. Only fate decided who lived and who died. For some survivors, they never really got out. And for the families left behind, their souls were taken with their kids inside that building. Those that got out of the building got out of hell, but we've lived in hell. They were left at the mercy of an uncaring state. I want to know why the state interfered. I want questions answered. This is the story of the Stardust tragedy. Brought to you by the Irish Sun. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think there were two things that brought the down for the first one was he just became so high profile uh, that he literally uh, amazing, remarkably became uh, one of the world's most famous drug dealers, which is, you know, something that you don't want to be, really. You know, you might want to be the world's most successful, but you don't want to be the world's most famous. The arrival of international sanctions in April 2022 have created big problems for the Kinnahan cartel. The leaders are now on the run with a collective bounty of over $15 million on their heads. But the sanctions and US involvement have impacted every strand of their business, both legitimate and non-legitimate. The world is now a much smaller place for the Kinahans to trade in. 
They're locked out of the US banking system. As the ICIJ's Fergus Shield describes. Basically, a sanction says no American citizen can hang out with these guys, can do business with these guys, can move money for these guys. But they also allowed you to go beyond that and say that if you do operate with them, they can shut you down. Further part of that is that you cannot move money through American banks if you're a sanction. The cartel had always managed to keep a close-knit circle in the past. But now more than ever, the list of those they can trust is shortened. Paranoia is at an all-time high. And the noose continues to tighten as members of the gang begin to fall. It's a make-or-break moment for the Kinans. Once you have the Drugs Enforcement Agency on board, once you have the Americans on board, and they make you persona non grata, they have such clout globally that the world suddenly becomes a smaller place. Because the Americans have a variety of laws that you don't have to commit crime inside in the States to get arrested. The Kinahans are now one of the most wanted entities across the globe. But it's not just Christie and his sons who are wanted by the US Treasury. Sanctions have also been applied to many of their top brass. Bernard Clancy, the enforcer and Daniel's childhood friend. Ian Dixon, the cartel's banker and payments master. The lieutenant, Sean McGovern, who's wanted over the murder of Noel Duckegg Kirwan. And Johnny Morrissey, the Spanish career criminal, who oversaw much of the gang's finances in recent years. The net has closed in on every single one of them. Contracting guys to run around the streets of Dublin to shoot people is not a good way to build your brand. It almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for them. They have to stay involved to retain their power. The Kinahans is brought to you by the Irish Sun. I'm Damien Lane. If you liked what you've heard so far, please leave us a review on your podcast app. It only takes a second. People will ask, why now? Why are, is this international coalition of law enforcement agencies targeting the Kinahans? So there's a couple of different reasons for that. The Kinahans' ingenuity in the field of money laundering and financial crime has been well documented. It's a characteristic that sets them apart from other organised crime gangs across Europe. Christie's own interests began in Belgium in the late 90s before the gang invested money into far-flung destinations such as Brazil and Cyprus in the new millennium. And it wasn't just their own profits they were washing. They became a one-stop shop for other criminals and gangs to clean their cash and assets. After all, a missing stash of Gary Hutch's earnings was one of the early kickstarters of the feud. And in more recent times, it was this activity, more than the drug trafficking, more than the firearms sales, hell, even more than the murders, that may have signified their downfall. The Sunday Times' John Mooney 
It's a really simple answer. This particular group has become involved with rogue states such as Iran. It's became involved with terrorist organisations that are affiliates of jihadist networks. So they stopped becoming a criminal problem and have now morphed into an international security problem. And states and governments and democracies react in a completely different way when their security is threatened. The primary organisation the Kinahans are believed to have been involved with are Hezbollah, a Shiite militant group responsible for terror attacks as far back as the 1980s. It's a state within a state within Lebanon. It has political ideologies and it is also financed and supported by Iran. It's a very complex organisation. There's a bit like a hydra. It has several different heads to it. And if you chop off one, it just comes again. The Kenyans, their involvement with, say, Hezbollah and Iran is primarily made up of money laundering for them and providing money laundering services. Also, probably buying drugs from them or certainly securing smuggling routes and using their worldwide logistical uh, operations to move money and drugs or other types of contraband, etc. And in return, a group like the Kinnahans provide logistical support through their criminal networks for actors from within the Iranian intelligence services and Hezbollah to maybe carry out killings in Europe and to do other things for them. So Christy Kinnahan and his sons, they're not simply trafficking drugs. They're actually enabling groups that are capable of organising terrorist attacks on democracies. They're involved with countries whose sole purpose and aim is now to under, undermine Western democracies and are sponsoring terrorist attacks across Europe and causing all sorts of issues across the Middle East in the, in the case of Iran. So that's why Christy Kinahan and his two sons, their lives and everyone involved with them has changed. I don't think they maybe appreciate that. I don't think they understood the consequences of making the jump from criminality to have an involvement with terrorist groups or rogue states and what the, the inevitable outworkings of that would be. But that's where they are now. And for that reason, they're not going to really be around much longer. It didn't take long for the Kinahan's complex involvement in boxing to begin to tailspin after the sanctions were imposed. MTK itself was not on the sanctions list, but came under massive scrutiny as a result of Daniel's influence in the boxing world. Alan Dawson remembers a quote from the City Hall press conference of April 22. There was a uh, press conference in, in Ireland where, and this was such a good quote that I ended up kind of using again and again, that anyone in boxing who deals with Kenahan is considered by the police as part of a criminal network, part of a criminal organisation. In 2022, MTK was being run by Bob Yalen, who took over from former CEO Sandra Vaughan in 2020. Neither Bob Yalen nor Sandra Vaughan have any links to criminality. Yalen quickly issued a statement trying to distance the company from Daniel Kinahan. I think the sanctionings has really shut a lot of people up. Just because, particularly in the US, it's now a legal issue. If anyone, any sponsor, 
not even people in boxing, if anyone has any dealing with Conan, it becomes something that they can, the FBI or the tr the Treasury will be noting that. And you don't want you don't want any of that. Matt Christie is editor of Boxing News. From the start with MGM and then MTK, there was a feeling that they wouldn't be around forever. So when the sanctions were announced, that feeling intensified that they were on borrowed time. The sanctions rocked the industry. Their biggest star, and the boxer most connected with Daniel Kinnan, was one week out from a heavyweight bout against Dillian White in the Wembley Arena. It was bad timing for the Gypsy King. Fury was the centre of a media flurry during the fight week, constantly dodging questions on his links to Daniel Kinnan. Do you, do you still speak to him? Is he still somebody that is close to you? Will you speak to him? Um, he's not my father, let's just say that. And obviously a lot has been made of the fact that you were pictured with him in February. Does that suggest that you are still close to him? Um, to be honest, I've never been close to anybody apart from my wife and my kids. So there we are. But, I mean, it's obviously a serious matter. I mean, the US... But again, it's none of my concern and none of my interest. The vast majority of people that were known to be associated with Kinahan went exceptionally quiet. Certain YouTube channels were quick to remove any MTK logos from microphones. And I think everybody, for a certain period of time, were very concerned about being too positive. Fighters that we know that were very vocal over the years in their support of Kinahan that disappeared almost overnight. But, but it was somebody that you had business dealings with. Did you regret being close to him? Um, like I say, none of my interest and none of my concern at all. I don't regret anything. Life's too short for regret. As the week progressed, the media pressure intensified for those close to Kinahan and those involved with MTK. It didn't take long for things to come to a head. Bob Yalen, who was an influential figure behind the scenes in boxing, largely for his work in journalism, a Hall of Famer, an International Boxing Hall of Famer. He was the first. He announced his resignation from MTK. And I think it was a week after that where MTK essentially just disappeared. On April the 20th, they released a statement to the world saying, as a business, we have faced unprecedented levels of unfair scrutiny and criticism since the sanctioning by the US government of Daniel Joseph Kinahan. But the thing is, Daniel Kinahan wasn't doing all of this on his own in the boxing world. He'll, he'd built up a team around him and he had built up some trusted allies, many of them in influential places in the sport of boxing, be that fighters, be that trainers, be that members of the media be that promoters, broadcasters. So a lot of that seemed to stop. In June of 2022, fighters who had associations with Daniel Kinahan and MTK began to feel the repercussions hit home. Tyson Fury, his brother Tommy, and their father John were all given travel bans to the US ahead of Tommy's upcoming New York fight with YouTuber Jake Paul. Big John Fury went on Instagram to announce the news. 
at the minute are suspended and banned for life. I can't get to here at all. Tyson can't get over there because he's got a few issues at the moment, what he's trying to sort out. So Tommy has got no team. The Furies weren't the only ones, however. They were part of a 600-person strong list of trainers, boxers and business people involved in the sport who received visa bans to travel into the country. I think the biggest name that we know that was affected would be Tyson Fury, who had rebuilt his career in America, had some of his biggest fights in America, and was a crossover star over there in the US. And I think it's quite telling that since the sanctions, he hasn't fought over there since. I think they have eradicated that situation now with Tyson Fury. But you still hear now of people within the sport of boxing who turn up at the airport and are turned away because they can't get into America. The Kinahan's legacy on the boxing industry was one of irreversible damage and destruction to the sport's name. Dodgy characters have made attempts to infect the sport before and will no doubt try again. But never before had there been someone so toxic as Daniel Kinahan to make it to the top in the sport. I've said this before, the sport of boxing walks an eternal tightrope because of its brutal nature that runs through the core of the sport. So it has always been my opinion that for the sport to flourish, it has to behave impeccably in every other area. And for someone like Daniel Kinahan to be so openly associated with the sport of boxing, to roam free, to kick back and put his feet up like he did, I always thought was an atrocious look. I think there's an awful lot of people in the sport of boxing, a frightening amount of people in the sport of boxing that should be looking at themselves in the mirror and being a little bit ashamed of what they can see. It's not like all of this information has suddenly come out in the last 12 months. It was largely there for us to see beforehand and that some suggest that they were not aware of it is barefaced lies. While it may appear that these sanctions destroyed Daniel Kinnan's life and business, if there's anything we've learned, is that he'll always try to control some presence behind the scenes. But as we know in this day and age, you don't have to be able to travel the world to, to retain that influence. And I think it's clear that conversations have continued, that things are still being managed by Daniel Kinahan as we speak now. And I think it all comes down to a desire from him to retain that position of power that he clearly enjoyed and he worked exceptionally hard to get in the sport of boxing. It was almost like it was the first time in his life that he was widely respected. And like it or not, he did some very good things for boxers that without him, they would not have achieved or experienced. And I think if you speak to boxers, should they wish to have that conversation with you, even now, the vast majority of those that had relationships with Kinahan and co will tell you only good things about him. 
After Jerry Hutch's not guilty verdict, there was a large fallout around the case. And for those involved in it, it was clear that for a trial of this magnitude, more stories would likely follow. Jonathan Dowdall's witness evidence was heavily criticised by Justice Tara Burns. However, despite this and Jerry's acquittal, Dowdall was still accepted into the witness protection programme. This sparked much debate around the use of public finances to rehome and secure someone who was a convicted criminal and was proven to have continually lied in court. This kind of evidence has to be treated very, very carefully because you don't know whether somebody's telling you the whole truth or whether they're just doing it to save their own skins. And, and that's what happened. And there's three high-profile murder cases that have taken place in this country. John Gilligan, Jerry Hutch and Alan Wilson, which were centred on the use of accomplice state evidence. And all three of them were acquitted. Using supergrass witnesses in trial of this kind is always problematic. And these people are individual creatures that behave in certain ways. They act in certain ways and their thought process is very different to other witnesses that come in to give evidence on behalf of the state in serious criminal trials. And that's something that is very difficult to predict. It's very difficult to gauge what their motivations are because they behave one way in a custody suite and they behave completely differently in the witness box. I personally would be of the view that prosecution agencies, the DPP, the guards, whoever it is, shouldn't let these type of cases put them off using this as a tactic to take down and dismantle criminal organisations going forward. They have a purpose. It doesn't always work, but they still have a purpose and they can still sometimes be of assistance. The programme was introduced in the late 90s following the murder of crime journalist Veronica Geeran. Dowdall and his family will enter into it once his prison sentence for facilitation to murder ends. When people enter witness protection, they are resettled in a country, usually English-speaking, and whereby they're sort of set up in a lifestyle that is similar to the one that they had before they went into the, to the scheme. So he's probably going to be given an amount of money that will allow him to buy a house of the same value of the one that he was actually living in. I suspect that Jonathan Dowdall will go underground and never be seen again. Less than 48 hours after the acquittal of Jerry Hutch, yet another media frenzy began, this time over a truly bizarre twist in the story. On the monk's first night of freedom, a party was held at his home in Clonturf, with friends and family all gathering to celebrate. Beers flowed, mountains of Chinese takeaway were delivered up to the house. There was much to cheer, as not only was the monk a free man, He'd spent his 60th birthday alone in Wheatfield Prison the week previously. So post-acquittal of Jared Hutch, another issue emerged with 
which really no one saw coming. And that was an individual who'd been an investigator with the Garda Ombudsman walked into work the day after Jerry Hutch's acquittal and said he'd actually attended a party with the now freed man the night before. And this was initially treated as a joke. The officer claimed he went in, joining the crowd and mingling with the monk himself. His colleagues looked at each other dumbstruck. This was mind-boggling behaviour, considering the circumstances. And then some of that individual's colleagues became really concerned and reported that. That led to an internal inquiry and the specific investigator resigned immediately after being confronted and told that he was about to be suspended. So there was a flurry of activity which resulted in an arrest and the investigation into that matter is ongoing. But there is now a suspicion that there were offers made to uh, Jared Hutch to offers of help in how to build a more robust defence to the state's case. Those allegations are being pursued by the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation at the moment and there is a belief that there is a case to answer on that. So that investigation is going on. After the story initially broke, it became apparent that the officer had told colleagues he was at the party because he believed Garda HQ had become aware of the relationship he was trying to forge. What's really interesting about that case is, is that it has opened up the kind of nightmare scenario for Garda headquarters, whereby not alone are they contending with people from within their own ranks passing information to criminals, allowing them to identify informants and escape justice, but they're now looking at potential corruption within the oversight bodies that regulate them. One legacy of the feud and Ireland's gangland culture throughout the 2010s was the increased sophistication of Ireland's intelligence services. The state is now handling more secretive information and using more covert means to capture it than ever before. Intelligence services are a different entity They tend not to have legislation, they tend not to abide by the same type of legislation that police officers do. And they have a very different outlook in terms of their mission and what they seek to achieve. The Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, had repeatedly raised the dangers of this because there's new legislation coming down the line that will actually give the Garda oversight bodies more powers and access to intelligence that is quite sensitive intelligence, that if you were a guard to have access to that information, you are really seriously vetted and there's a lot of security checks made on you. But ironically, and probably more importantly, that if you are someone that happens to be involved in the oversight agencies, you're not subjected to the same type of screening and you have access to the same information. The aftermath of the trial has seemingly raised more questions than answered them. It was clear that a lesser charge against Jerry Hutch may have been enough to see him successfully prosecuted in relation to the movement of the machine guns used. Now, over eight years on from the murder of David Byrne, the state is still yet to convict 
any of the hit team. And it hasn't reflected well on the DPP or the Gardaí. That said, the trial of Jerry Hutch did bring closer the possibility of future criminal cases being brought against members of the Hutch gang. During the trial, Patsy Hutch's name was mentioned repeatedly. Now, Patsy is Gary Hutch's father. He's Patrick Hutch Jr.'s father and he's Derek Hutch's father. And during his during the, the summing up by the judges, they said you could make the reasonable conclusion that Patsy Hutch organised and planned the Regency and that Jerry came in afterwards only because his own life was at risk. So there is certainly evidence against Patsy Hutch that the Gardaí have. What they do with that now is, is, is another thing. If Jerry Hutch had been convicted based on Jonathan Dowdall's evidence, the guards probably would have been free to use that evidence again in any future trials. Because his evidence has now been completely rejected, they won't return to Jonathan Dowdall again. So there could be charges down the line for Patsy Hutch or for other people who are suspects in this case. Whether that happens now after the way this case was handled and the way the previous trial was handled is, is I guess, is anybody's guess. As for the monk, Michael feels his day in court has come and gone. It would be an unprecedented move to see somebody get off a serious charge and then the authorities go back after him for a lesser charge. I'd be very surprised if that happens. Something that's never happened before. We kind of initially, when he was acquitted, we, we felt that he might leave the country very quickly or certainly almost immediately after that. That didn't happen. He hung around Dublin for a number of weeks. He, as, you said, as you said, he was photographed um, taking in takeaways. He'd met family members and he did stay and he, stay, he stayed around Dublin for, for nearly a month, I think. But our information now is that he has left the country now and, and he's gone to Lanzarote. Jerry had a difficult decision to make in many regards. His brother, Patsy, has been living in Ireland under police protection since day one of the feud. Abroad, that protection would not be afforded to the monk. But he's a man who's enjoyed a life in Spain for years and something he's keen to not give up. The guard intelligence at the moment is that there's no imminent threat to his life, but that's not to say that at some point in the future that he won't be targeted. The Kinnahans do have kind of more pressing things to worry themselves about at the moment. A lot of their hitmen are also in prison now, so the dust has very much settled in that regard, but because Jerry Hutch is Jerry Hutch, who's to say what might happen in the future, and they might decide to try and target him when he least expected it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In recent years, many of the cartel's biggest names and closest associates have been taken down in a string of high-profile international arrests. None more so than Raphael Imperiale, the Italian drugs boss and former co-founder of the European supercartel. We have already discussed his 2021 arrest in episode 8 of the podcast. What we didn't discuss, however, was the breakthrough information that led to his capture. EncroChat was a heavily encrypted messaging app used by many serious criminals in the past decade. Gangsters could confidently discuss their criminal activity in relative peace. It was a welcome relief from the days of back alley meetings or talking linguistic code over burner phones. But in 2017, this app came onto the radar of French authorities. And in 2020, Europol made an enormous breakthrough by cracking into the encrypted network. What they found was incredible. Detailed routes for shipments of tons of cocaine in and out of Europe. What cut various cartel members would receive for their part. It was an encyclopedia of narco secrets. One of those involved was none other than Rafael Imperiale. Through the encrypted software, they found that Imperiale had stored drugs throughout northern Italy before his arrest and deportation from Dubai. The Camorra gangster had also been involved in the theft of masses of priceless artworks, including a Van Gogh original from an art museum in Amsterdam in 2002. They've really come to understand them and how to break them apart and dismantle some of their networks. So this particular individual was being sought by the Italian government and in many ways, like what the Irish government have done and their security forces, they used both legal but also diplomatic means to pursue this individual until they had him arrested and extradited from the United Arab Emirates. Imperiale was brought back to Italy to face trial. In a similarly high-profile case from what has happened in our own justice system of late. But in a shock move, particularly for those he did business with, Daniel Kinahan's guest of honour at his wedding was going to betray his criminal allies. Imperiale himself was going to become a supergrass. And they call mafia figures who repent, they call them the penitents, the process whereby Italian law enforcement encourage these figures to make statements and betray their own organisations is fairly well advanced and very sophisticated these days. So it didn't come really as a shock to anyone who's familiar with these security issues that this guy would repent uh, to save his own skin. That, that has become a common feature of mafia trials. Witness protection works differently in different countries. Italy has a much more robust system in place 
If Imperiale wanted to be granted protection and receive a lighter punishment, he'd have to play total ball with the authorities. He'd have to give up every single ounce of information he has gathered in a 30-year life of criminality. And this was bad news for those who knew him. And in doing so, he has, of course, been debriefed on his knowledge of the Kinnahans and have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that American law enforcement and British law enforcement and probably Irish law enforcement will be beneficiaries of that sort of debriefing period where they've got a lot of information that would be everything from soft intelligence to, you know, what Daniel Kinnan is actually really like, what his father's like, how they relate to each other, and the way the family runs its business to sort of more hard information on the logistics about how they move drugs, how they loan their money, and how they run a global empire from the Middle East. With Imperiale in the judiciary's pocket, the next big win in taking down the cartel was the arrest of Johnny Morrissey. Morrissey, originally from Manchester, was a key associate to the Kinahans. One of the seven members who was named in the US sanctions list. He had many roles in the cartel. He helped to move drugs. He worked as an enforcer. But most importantly, he was their main money launderer. Morrissey lived in Ireland in the 90s and I was actually the first person to expose his existence here because he was accused of being involved in various gangland killings back in the Costa del Sol, I think of Manchester in the 90s. And he ran a restaurant in Cove and back in those days, an English criminal living down here who had this fearsome reputation was quite unusual. Again, I think it's really important when people think about these things that Johnny Morrissey, he's not a really highly intelligent person. He's a tug from Manchester and he could never become anything else but a tug. In 2016, when Daniel, Christie and Christopher Jr. relocated away from the Costa del Sol to Dubai, they relied on the people they trusted to run their operations on the ground in Europe. Daniel and Christie trusted Morrissey with this job, leaving behind simple instructions. Keep things low-key and quiet and don't attract too much attention. However, Morrissey paid no heed to the Kinahan's wishes to keep the operations low-key. Instead, he launched a glitzy liquor company called Nero Vodka holding big launch parties and glamorising the business in every way he could. Not only that, he was the very visible frontman of the operation, attending film premieres and exclusive parties all over Marbella. Then, on an early morning on September the 15th last year, things came home to roost for Morrissey. 
A key member of the Kinnahan crime gang, described by Europol as one of Europe's biggest money launderers, has been remanded in custody in Spain after being charged with money laundering offences. Detectives from six different police forces, including Angarda Siachana, took part in the operation to arrest 62-year-old Johnny Morrissey in the Costa del Sal. This is just astonishing behaviour for a crime gang of this type because it just it shows ingenuity but it also shows stupidity I mean I don't know how anyone sitting in Dubai could think that you could put Johnny Morrissey and his Scottish wife on list them as directors of a drinks company and think no one was going to notice this Johnny Morrissey was suspected of laundering over 200 million euro worth of drug cash within an 18 month period so I think it was hugely significant that it wasn't just the fact of the determination to bring the Kinahan Organised Crime Group to justice. It was also dismantling their structures and that included their money laundering networks. And that's why those financial sanctions were issued. The cartel's structure was crumbling by the month. Johnny Morrissey's arrest hurt the group when talking about the biggest losses for the Kinahans in recent times. This month's arrest of Liam Byrne was a truly colossal blow. Yeah, I think when we talk about Liam Byrne, we, we talk about someone who is at the, the top tier of, of organised crime in Ireland. Um, if you go back to 2018, when the Criminal Assets Bureau uh, seized his, his property in Crumlin, seized uh, 2.7 million worth of his assets in terms of luxury uh, vehicles. They totally disrupted his, his business enterprise in the, the south inner city. You have someone who has been heavily involved in organised crime for 20 years. Liam Bourne is as close a confidant as the Kinahans have ever had. His relationship with Daniel solidified even stronger after the Regency and his brother David's murder. It was much more than just business between the two. I think when the sanctions were made last year, I, I think when the, the pressure had increased, somewhat because of the, the global effort to dismantle the organisation. He was under a bit of pressure and that's when he went to Dubai because obviously there was no extradition treaty uh, with Ireland. He wouldn't have known in the background what the, the Garda National Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau were working on, what evidence the, uh, the UK police had gathered on him in terms of his criminal enterprises. But again, like Daniel Kinahan and like many of those within his group, there is an arrogance there, there is a cockiness there. Unbeknownst to Bourne, authorities had been able to uncover much of his illicit activities from the breach of the EncroChat interface. Among other offences, Byrne was involved in the trading of a cache of firearms through Newry in Northern Ireland. But unlike Morrissey of the Kinahans, there was no known European or international arrest warrant out for Byrne, at least to his knowledge. And that arrogance was highlighted when he decided to join his family in Spain uh, when he left uh, Dubai and uh, he flew to Mallorca and he was happy to spend a few days there um, with his family and then I'm sure he got the shock of his life when the, the, the Policia Nacional walked into the restaurant when he was having a meal and arrested him on suspicion of uh, arms smuggling and, and conspiracy to, to smuggle arms. Video footage of Bourne being walked into a Spanish police station wearing shorts and a pair of flip-flops circulated around the web at speed. 
he'd been taken completely off guard. Bourne had joined the ranks of the few Irish criminals who'd become household names across the country. The net had grown tighter once more for the Kinahans. And so the options open to the Kinahan Organised Crime Group are, are failing on a daily basis. You have other individuals in, in Ireland who are the subject of Criminal Assets Bureau investigations. And it's another boost, I think, to law enforcement around the world to have someone as senior as um, Liam Byrne, now behind bars in Spain, awaiting extradition to the UK. Byrne's arrest has been the most recent in a string of blows to the cartel and possibly the biggest catch to date in the dismantling of the Kinahan gang. I think it's a hugely significant um, arrest, uh, especially when you have people in his own family now serving very serious sentences. Of course, you have Thomas Bomber Kavanagh serving the 21-year sentence for a drug smuggling operation. You have his first cousin, Freddie Thompson, serving life for murder. You also have another first cousin named Brannigan serving a prison sentence for his involvement in a plot to kill Gary Hanley in November 2017. So it's another blow to his family, but it's another blow to the overall structures and the overall leadership of the Kinahan Organised Crime Group. So they're working their way up the ladder in terms of the arrests that they're making and people that are now behind bars, but there's still a further step to go, and that is to see Daniel Kinahan, Christy Kinahan, Christopher Kinahan Jr. and Sean McGovern behind bars. So we come to the final chapter of our podcast series. At least for now, anyway. The golden question that's on everyone's lips. Where the hell are the Kinahans? And what happens next? It's very difficult to say with any degree of certainty what is likely to happen to Christopher Kinahan and his two sons. So when I personally think about this, I kind of ignore what you hear in the media because these are very wealthy and powerful criminals now. They're operating in the Middle East. They're moving between various countries and so far they have managed to evade arrest or apprehension. That's the facts of the situation. The world is a small place and they don't have many opportunities available to them. Obviously, they have a lot of financial resources behind them, but the spotlight is firmly on the Kinahan group at the moment. You know, they're seen as toxic among many other criminal groupings. It's a lot smaller for the Kinahans now, the realms that they're operating in, and the focus is firmly on them when you have law enforcement agencies from around the world equally determined to bring them to justice. And I think the belief is that it doesn't matter where that form of justice takes place as long as they're behind bars. The gang has spent considerable years building up contacts across the political and narco-establishment throughout the Middle East. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they are being protected by bad actors. What's known about them is is that they certainly have connections into governments and states. They have connections into terrorist groups and they forge alliances with very powerful criminal groups in different parts of the world. So within that sort of community of alliances that they've built they're plenty capable of protecting them forever and you can't ignore that Although faced with crippling sanctions it's blatantly clear the cartel is still operating to some degree Is it greed? 
In some ways, yes. But according to John Mooney, it's also out of necessity. It almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for them. They have to stay involved to retain their power because if they don't, they could be killed. And their real enemies, or his real enemy, wasn't members of the Hutch gang. It's people that are around him who are looking at the opportunity to say, is it time now for him to go? And you must remember that we're living in a very different world these days. It's a multipolar world and there's different governments are competing for power. There are countries out there such as Russia, such as Iran, such as Venezuela, that will be more than happy to accept someone like Christopher Kinnan as an extended family in his network of supporters and provide shelter to them simply to annoy the American government or the European Union and would possibly use them for their own advantages through, you know, maybe hybrid warfare. It could be for their logistical knowledge of moving uh, contraband around the world. This is a story that the ending hasn't been written yet. The Kinnahans are kind of at the centre of a lot of what goes on in this country in terms of gangland, in terms of the drugs industry. But there are smaller gangs or smaller feuds going on in the city at the moment, particularly out in the Finglas, Kulak area. There's been a long-running drugs feud continuing out there in which a number of young men have been murdered. And certainly certain figures involved in that feud are ready and waiting to kind of step up to the plate. But there is a Kinnahan connection to that because one of their main suppliers in Dublin is central to that feud. There's always those gangs who will be readily available to step up if one gang or another is kind of snuffed out. And as Larry Dunn famously said all those years ago, if you think we're bad, wait to see what's coming next. So there is always someone else to follow. Well, things are far more violent now and they don't show any signs of, the violence doesn't show any signs of diminishing. Once you have cocaine in criminal organisations, you have the paranoia and you have the violence and you have the need for them to arm up and to protect their stash, their, their store, their area, and they have a rivalry with other groups. As I say, the Regency set the scene. People are going around with machine guns. You have to be as violent and as vicious as the next group to survive. Any sign of weakness and people try and take over. Organised crime gangs never really get disbanded. Their management just gets replaced and they reinvent themselves and become something else. And that, you know, it's always the same. I've never seen it any other way. Daniel Kinnahan would have, was coming to the natural end of his criminal lifestyle. Because, you know, there's been all these um, comparisons made of them you know, with the Sicilian Mafia or Japanese organised crime gangs. Kenans are nothing like them. I mean, if I asked you who leads uh, the Sicilian Mafia, you couldn't tell me. But you can tell me who leads the Kenan cartel and you can tell me the names of everyone in it. They made a classic error insofar as that their name became their brand. The same way that Pablo Escobar's name became his brand. And that can only lead to one 
outcome for them, which is that they'll either be killed or they're going to end up in prison. So they aren't actually that intelligent. Sure, they've the ability to kill people. They have that criminal kind of sense about themselves, but that they're nothing remarkable past that. If anyone believes that some of that gang are not contemplating taking 15 million and getting a new passport, they need psychiatric help. Do you think that's a realistic outcome? 100%. Over the past 10 episodes, we've learned just how complex gangland really is. A high-stakes game that is constantly evolving. We began this series in Dublin's north inner city. A different time, in a different era. Over 40 years, we've gone from Sheriff Street to the Costa del Sol, across Europe and deep into the Middle East. A truly global tale from beginning to end. But it's on those streets around the Five Lamps that saw the most devastation and destruction play out. 18 lives were lost in the feud. Families were torn apart. Friendships that were forged over decades turned violent and bloody in a fortnight. All of the normal conventions of criminal respect went. So there were no longer any boundaries and anything could happen. And that was terrifying for this community. Looking at from the outside, people might say, God, there are animals down in that community. But this wasn't the case. Even the people who were shot, most of whom I knew, had a social conscience. And had stood up against the drug dealers and had uh, tried to protect the community. This is the logical conclusion to allowing drugs to take over. What began with the murder of Gary Hutch spiralled into scenes nobody could envision and a legacy that sadly will never be forgotten, particularly on those streets of the North Inner City. So you're saying what was the legacy? Larry Duns, you want to see who's coming after me? The people who came after were completely amoral. But the new generation, the legacy, they did understand the effect it was having and didn't care. The culture is all about fast living, smart Alex, sort of. What is a complete disconnect between the dealers and all they want is money. Greed is good. Greed transcends everything. The Kinahans was brought to you by the Irish Sun. This series was hosted by me, Damien Lane, and produced by Urban Media. We hope to carry this story on in some shape or form in the future. So please do keep an eye on this space. If there's one thing we have learned, it's that the Kinahans are unpredictable. And what comes next will be just as exciting as what has come to date. 
We want to thank all of the contributors for this series, particularly those who shared their emotional and difficult stories, as well as the many people who helped in pulling this podcast together. If you've liked our series, please leave us a review and help us get the word out there. It only takes a second.